Welcome to the Spirituality for Normal People podcast. Of course, there aren't really any normal people, but every person has a spirituality, whether plumbers or politicians, firefighters or farmers, entrepreneurs or entertainers. I'm Matthew Bruff, pastor and author, bringing you tips, guidance, and practical advice for how to live out and keep the life in your relationship with God. You can find show notes, books, and more at spiritualityfornormalpeople.com. Welcome to episode five of the Spirituality for Normal People podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Today, I've got a great interview with Reverend Dr. Ross Lockhart. We have a lot of fun on this interview and just talk about all kinds of things, but especially we talk about his missional focus that he sees that needs to happen in ministry and that he's practicing in ministry as well in the work that he's doing out in Vancouver with Vancouver School of Theology and St. Andrew's Hall, Regent College and St. Mark's College. Um, He's a really busy guy. um, So I was really happy that he took the time out to uh, spend some time with me talking to me about spirituality. So we talk about his spiritual practices as well. Uh, close to the end of the interview, and and there's some great stuff in there um, around what he does personally in his life. Uh, particularly, I loved when we get to the the very very end where he talks a little bit about uh, the connections between fatigue, stress, and being in spiritual ruts, and how he gets out of those. Uh, so I love that part. It's right near the end, um, but uh, but we also talk about all kinds of things. Uh, around uh, his work with students uh, who are preparing for ministry and what he sees are needed in seminaries, but also um, for just regular people in congregations who are Christians trying their best to follow Jesus, what he thinks is really needed in congregations today um, and how they are trying to help equip uh, leaders to go into those congregations to, uh, to support the ministry of the whole people of God. Um, so, like I said, he focuses really on the missional aspect of the church, and maybe you haven't heard that term before, I and mean, lots of you probably have, um, but it, it's really summed up, like I like this statement, it's summed up as we often talk about how God's church has a mission, um, but missional theology shifts that focus in a way that I really like to talk about how God's mission has a church. In other words, God is on a mission. God is trying to do things in the world. And the church is the tool by which God uh, carries out that mission. Um, So we, all Christians, anyone who's following Jesus, are actually part of God's strategy for working on the mission of reaching people with his love and care and compassion. Um, And uh, so we talk, we don't necessarily talk about those things, but we talk about how um, missional theology uh, shapes spiritual practice and vice versa. Um, And what that means in really practical terms, especially in the worship life of a congregation. Um, So I think pastors, church leaders might be interested in the first part of of the podcast where we talk a lot about that. Um, But, uh, but the second part um, is we get practical about what Ross actually does in his home life and his personal life. And there's some rich stuff there too. So um, you can always go to the website and check out the show notes as well. And the links that are there, there's some links and resources you can check out. Uh, I also wanted to let you know, I'm going to start letting you know who's coming on in the following weeks. So next week, I've got Shannon Kaiser, who is the director of training for Fresh Expressions US. So in the in the United States, um, Fresh Expressions is a really interesting movement that started in the Anglican Church in England or Church of England. Um, and they are looking at new ways of doing church, like starting up new churches, but not just in the regular uh, model of congregations or churches as we would normally think about them, but just fresh expressions of uh, of church. So we don't actually talk too much about that in the interview with Shannon, but um, but it's a great interview too, just around her own spiritual practices. So you'll want to listen for that next week. Uh, I also want to let you know um, some of the things that I'm working on personally um, you may know that I'm an author. I think it says so in the intro. You probably just heard it. Um, but uh, so I, I've recently uh, written a book called Let God Be God. But I've been working on a second book that are kind of in a bit of a series. So 
This next one is called Let God Be Present. Uh, and it's all about, um, well, actually, it's kind of a little bit about my own struggle with uh, the presence of God and whether I really want to have God present in my life. I think that might sound a little strange. Um, but once the book comes out, you'll kind of get a sense for what that is about. Um, so it's actually getting pretty close. I just got some of the, the edits back from my editor. And uh, and so I'm really pleased uh, the book will be ready pretty soon. For sure, the ebook will be ready pretty soon. I don't know about the paperback yet. I've still got to work out some details around that. Um, but I am also looking for people who might be willing to read uh, early for me and be part of a, a bit of a launch team for the book. Um, so if you're interested in being part of the launch team and you're listening to this, you can email me. Um, there will eventually be a form online that you can fill out. Um, so you may even want to wait for that. I don't have that set up yet, but I thought I would let you know now I'm looking for people to be part of a launch team. And all that really means is, is that you're willing to leave a review of some kind or promote the book in some way. And I will provide you with an early, uh, pre-release copy, ebook copy of the book. Um, so I'll send you an ebook probably two to four weeks before the release date. Um, and I'm hoping the release date's going to be sometime in maybe end of May, but possibly end of June. So I still haven't said all that. I know it doesn't sound like I've got it all together here, but uh, but I thought I would let you know right away that's something I've been working on. And if you're interested in getting an early copy of the book, there's going to be a way for you to do that. So as soon as that's available, I'll let you know, or you can email me if you want. Um, uh, if you can get my email address, if you just go to the Spirituality for Normal People uh, website, um, you can you can contact me through there as well, uh, or on Twitter or Facebook, however you want to do that. Uh, yeah, so basically that launch team is just going to work with me to, to help spread the word about the book. Um, and you'll get an advanced copy. It won't necessarily be the final, final version. There'll probably still be some uh, typos or proofreading things that I'll need to get ironed out. Um, but those will get ironed out and then the, the release will happen. Um, so I would love it if there's anyone out there who wants to be part of that and help out, particularly if you are someone who normally reads ebooks on a Kindle, uh, through, and if you buy ebooks through, uh, Amazon, that actually helps me out because if you're able to leave a review there, that makes a big difference. But anybody who wants, uh, an early copy, if you're listening to this and you're a, already loyal podcast listener, happy to provide you with an early release copy of it. Um, so yeah, I will let you know a little more about that in the next uh, couple of weeks, or you can watch, I'll probably have an email out of, as well. If you're not on my email list, you can do that just by going to the website and you sign up to get the the six tips for staying consistent guide and you're automatically on my mailing list and, and I'll be sending out some information about uh, the upcoming book and uh, the launch team getting early copies and that kind of thing if you're interested. Um, you're always free to wait and uh, and pay for your book. <laughs> um, and uh, so if it's not in your schedule right now to be able to kind of fit in an extra book, um, totally understand. But uh, yeah, if you're willing to help out, I will gladly take you and uh, um, and be glad to supply you with, with an early book. Anyway, I've talked lots so Let's go right to the interview with Ross Lockhart. All right, today we have Dr. Ross Lockhart with us, and we're really happy to have uh, Ross on the podcast today. Welcome, Ross. Hey, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, it's great to have you too. Um, now, Ross is, uh, I'm going to read what it says on the website because it's really long describing who you are. Um, but Ross is the Associate Professor and Director of the Center for Missional Leadership at St. Andrews Hall. Um, that's out in Vancouver. And Ross serves as the Presbyterian Director of Denominational Formation at Vancouver School of Theology, as well as an Adjunct Professor of Homiletics at St. Mark's College at University of British Columbia. And I think there's other stuff you do, too. But I teach, uh, at Regent. I teach at Regent as well. Yeah, and you teach at Regent. Wow. Um, so that's lots. Uh, that's yeah. lots going on there. But uh, um, just so that people have a sense for who you are. Uh, one of the things that I know you're really involved with is uh, is just really just being with ministry students and yeah. um, and doing a lot of teaching and just connecting with students as well. So I would love to start there. And we're talking about spirituality 
um, for normal people, but I'll also acknowledge that, uh, that nobody's really normal, maybe especially <laughs> ministry students. I don't know. I've been one in the past, okay. um, but I would love to, to ask you, what do you see ministry students need the most in terms of their own spirituality? And then maybe what do you think they need to be paying attention to as they, as they leave being a student and going into uh, pastoral ministry? So what do they need when they're a student? And then what do they, what do they need to take with them? Two, two great questions. And Matt, again, thanks for having me as part of your uh, blog. It's great to be able in podcasting here. Uh, I love the work that I do. And I often say for this season of my ordained life, it's such a pleasure to uh, be teaching uh, here at the college. Uh, you know, the one thing, uh, one of many things we have in common is we're both teaching elders, right? So pastors yep. in our reformed heritage are known as teaching elders. So I'm just happened to be teaching in a college now instead of uh, a congregation, even though I still guest preach Sunday by Sunday. And one of the things that, that drew me to teaching in the college was um, my own experience of being prepared for ministry that at times felt like I was being prepared uh, exquisitely to lead a church in 1952 in Canada. That's right. Uh, and, uh, uh, hey, and let's be was... clear, you weren't actually in seminary in 1952. Right? <laughs> I've got some gray. I've got the yeah. gray coming down, but that's because of my three kids. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I, I had a, a lovely classical theological education at the University of Toronto, which I was grateful for. Uh, and then I was tossed into Northern Ontario uh, to begin ministry. And uh, I didn't know what I was doing other than I was aware the degree I had been awarded by the seminary was a heretical degree, right? The master <laughs> of divinity. Um, I had not mastered divinity, uh, nor will I ever master divinity. And I actually, in my first church, I had a retired moderator of the General Assembly, Bruce Miles, in my congregation. Yeah. And man, whether it was the curling rink in the winter or the golf course in the summer, Bruce taught me so much. I would go to him all the time and say, so I had this session meeting last week and things went bad, you know, mm -hmm. and, and what do I do about that? And so uh, we'll get to that on your second question in a moment about mm -hmm. mentoring. And Bruce yeah. is in, in uh, where I am right now. Hey, so yeah, he, right. yeah, he started out in, uh, in Winnipeg um, way back, but he's actually still preaching on a regular basis and it, uh, helping us with a small congregation just north of the city. Amazing. Um, Please take so a well in, Like he's into his eighties now. So incredible. So Incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so one of the things coming now to teach at the college, to, to your first question, I find very interesting that it used to be that the congregations um, discipled people and prepared them really well so that by the time you got to first year seminary after your undergrad, um, you were a fully formed Christian who felt a call to lead. And one of the things that's fascinating now, whether it's teaching here at St. Andrews Hall, the Presbyterian School, VST combined with the United Church and Anglicans across the street, or Regent College, which is the Free Church Evangelical College at UBC, um, uh, you have more and more adult converts coming directly to seminary. And so you have people, including uh, Presbyterian candidates, who uh, uh, converted to Christianity in their adulthood, were not raised in the church. And so you really have um, this opportunity to form people without the baggage of Christendom. But it, yeah, right. But it requires a lot more um, basic uh, communication of the faith, right? So we do things like in our Tuesday uh, Presbyterian service, I insist every week we have one of the historic creeds of the church in mm -hmm. our uh, liturgy. Because some people coming, they don't know the difference between the apostles and the Nicene Creed. That could be a problem, right? You know, so um, not just in kind of formal leadership later on, but in knowing the tradition and the history of Christian witness. Yeah. Uh, and so um, one of the things I find is alongside that, when we're talking about spirituality uh, for normal people, is that they often, candidates will come now to seminary without um, really deep uh, spiritual practices. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just about a theological education, but it's a, uh, about discipleship. So mm -hmm. um, it's really important, I think, as, as pastors teaching in a seminary, that we see the students almost like a mini congregation. Uh, and uh, one of the, the major uh, ways that I do that is an emphasis on prayer. 
that uh, folks who come uh, sometimes malnourished from a congregation, sometimes adult converts without backgrounds, uh, really need deep prayer practices. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we've done that I think you're aware of, Matt, is we've taken two of our townhomes here at St. Andrew's Hall. We have um, a residence, 93 residence rooms at the college. We've taken two of the townhomes and we've set them aside as a new monastic experiment called the Salt mm-hmm. Lighthouse. Yeah. Um, so three men, three women living according to a rule of faith and a rule of life. And the rule of faith is uh, prayer, hospitality, and witness. The rule of life, which they write uh, their own is um, who's going to clean up the fridge when it gets messy kind of stuff. Right, um, right. Yeah, well, you need that, right? right? I'll and just pray about that and let other people <laughs> clean up the fridge. I'll, I'll do the exactly. exactly. And so uh, just a few minutes ago, I had a couple of students up in my office before we were chatting and uh, Salt House and Lighthouse have um, added uh, morning prayer every day okay. at the college. Uh, not just for them, but for other uh, residents, mm-hmm. including UBC undergrads and economics or engineering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're forming prayer groups here as part of their formation to be uh, an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church. Right, so really we're, cool. really, we're really wanting to uh, not take for granted that students that are being sent here by the churches have uh, deep spiritual practices, which is not yeah. a knock on local churches. I love the local church preaching it every week, um, but it's a reality that as uh, Christendom fades, those kind of basic Christian practices are no longer conveyed by the culture, and it really is is encouragement for local churches to do that. I think as well, there might've been a, like you might know better in terms of history than me, but I think there might've been a long time where some of those basic Christian practices were really taught in the home rather than in the church. So it's not that like, again, we, we might not want to look at, well, what's the church done wrong here. Um, But, but just not really caught up to the shift in the culture and realizing, well, yeah, kids are not necessarily being taught to pray in the homes or the, you know, we've got, people in their sixties who did not grow up in Christian homes. Like I remember going to seminary and we would meet, uh, you know, I'd met people who are in their third or fourth career, 55 years old, 60 years old. They came to Christ when they were 45, 50, and now they're at seminary. Um, You know, so it's a, it's just a different world and and maybe the church, you know, for sure the church hasn't caught up um, to thinking through some of the implications of that. I, I was surprised in seminary as well that, uh, the people were there almost, I found they were there as seekers in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, you know, not everybody for sure, but there were definitely students who they, they were thinking, well, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm called to ministry and I'm not really sure about this, this Jesus guy. Right. Um, and that's why I'm here. So I th- I figured I'd come to seminary to explore that because it was a resource for them to yeah. try to explore spirituality Rather than, like you said, coming to seminary, their spirituality is fully formed. They have those practices in place, and now they sense a call to ministry and service, and so they're there to learn to do that. Yeah. That that wasn't my experience at seminary. A lot of people were there, sort of seeking spirituality, and then you know maybe God's calling me to serve others in some way, and I want to make a difference in the world, but that's got something to do with faith. and And they were just exploring those questions through seminary as an institution, yeah. rather than. Uh, having that already done. That's uh, right. That was my experience. And, and, and that continues here, right? And so as an instructor, you're trying to balance those who are fully formed uh, and, and uh, really deepen in their spiritual practices, wanting to lead the church and those who are coming with kind of an anemic spirituality that you're really trying to just speak into their lives, the very basic tenets of the Christian mm-hmm. faith. So it, you know, it's, it's like congregational ministry where you have, uh, you know, people who are um, much further on the road to sanctification in the pews and you're preaching to them, as well as uh, pre-Christian folks who are um, in church and uh, just trying to figure out whether any of this is true, right? Sure, so sure. It's, um, it makes for um, a mixed classroom. Yeah. I, I think a good example would be um, the Christian education course that's mandated. You you no doubt had it. Uh, I had it at U of T. Um, the Association of Theological Schools says every grad with a Master of Divinity needs a, a basic Christian education course. So in the last year, I've just rewritten it here to not make it um, so much about uh, it's 1950. 
and you're going to a church with a Christian education budget and a Christian educator, and everyone comes to church on Sunday, and instead it's called now uh, catechesis and community. And it's really looking about how in a small Christian witnessing community do we form mature disciples of Jesus? What are those spiritual practices and stages of life um, that we uh, are privileged as leaders in the church to be engaged in, right? So it's not just the the baptism, confirmation, marriage, um, uh, and burial kind of acts, but it's the actual shared life together. So So, so what does that look like then as, you know, someone who... I mean, I want to know for me, <laughs> for being a minister in a congregation, but other pastors who might be listening as well, like what, what ought we be paying attention to in our congregations um, in terms of spirituality and that, you know, what people are, what are some of those basic practices that we really, we need to pay attention to for ourselves, but then, and model for others, but also teach and, and how do we go about doing that? Yeah, I think uh, one of the turns I've always been a, a fan of evangelism, and and I love your uh, your title for this series, spirituality for normal people, because my uh, one of my spiritual fathers is John Bowen, who teaches at Wycliffe College, now retired, mm-hmm. and his book is Evangelism for Normal People, which yeah. I've always found helpful uh, in local church uh, leadership. And so, spirituality for normal people. I mean, I think part of it is. Uh, as as I've um, more gone deeper into what's called the world of missional theology, and Daryl Guder, who uh, who helped create that phrase in the late '90s, is our senior fellow in residence. He's here actually right now at the college uh, for one of his stays. Um, missional theology to me has changed the way that I experience worship, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, I know this doesn't sound like it's getting to your question, but hold on. <laughs> Um, so, uh, I it's love, okay. we know that you're a prof, so it's okay. <laughs> and, a, and a preacher too. Like sometimes it takes us a while to get there. Well, it Sorry. takes to get, to get to the point. Exactly. Yeah. So Matt, I mean, you and I were just, uh, uh, chatting a bit before we started our recording. We love our preaching moment, right? Every yeah. Sunday up and preaching, it's the highlight, like everything That's in the right. week goes right. towards the sermon. Yeah. And, um, what's changed for me in missional theology where the, where the highlight, the, the, the peak of the service was the preaching moment. Now, for me, for as much as I, uh, like you, do a solid exegesis, uh, pray up a storm and try and craft a message that's worthy of the gospel text uh, or Old Testament text in front of us, um, now the highlight for me, that the summit, uh, is actually the benediction. Hmm. And missional theology has changed that experience of worship for me, because now when I stand after God has gathered his people and equipped them, uh, through word and sacrament, when I stand on the chancel steps and I'm ready to give the benediction, I look out and I think, wow, like, I wonder where God is sending these people in the community this week. I wonder about the conversations they're going to get into with their neighbors at the hockey rink, at the local Tim Hortons, um, the, the conversations that really matter, right? That, uh, the coworker says, uh, my marriage is, uh, crumbling, right? Right. Uh, The friend says, my teenager is back on drugs. Uh, you know, the, the neighbor says, uh, I don't think I can handle, uh, being part of the sandwich generation with my kids and caring for my aging parents. Mm -hmm. Um, that if, if, we do the classic mainline Protestant thing, and that is we outsource our baptismal vows to paid clergy. If people at Prairie Presbyterian say, Matt, you're the pastor, we pay your salary, you be the super Christian for us. The point of contact that you have with people is so limited during the week. Yeah, sure. Whereas when you think about the benediction, that really is God's sending, God's mission to the community. And if we're doing our equipping ministries properly, which includes spirituality, then we're sending people out almost like with a little flame over their head at Pentecost to be that witness in the community. And, and so that's it. Then it comes to the equipping stage to say, what are we doing in our Sunday worship and in our small group ministries in order to equip people to be a faithful witness. And one of the things that I'm a, a fan of is uh, uh, really embracing what I would call a teaching liturgy uh, in Sunday worship. And, and where I learned this was um, every two or three years or so, I do um, a summer in Northern Ireland. That's where my extended family live. 
And our family has grown so big now that the cheapest way to do it is to do a pulpit exchange. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, we just did that uh, this past summer and three years ago, we did it as well. And three years ago, we were in a, a church that uh, was down to about 10 people a decade ago. And uh, Presbytery of Belfast was ready to close them. And they said, one more call, just one more call. And they called actually a regent grad uh, who had studied uh, here in Vancouver and went back. And by the time we arrived, it was the youngest, fastest growing Presbyterian church in Ireland. And uh, so I spent the summer trying to figure out like what was going on here. And one of the things is they had a solid commitment to a teaching liturgy. And that is uh, not every week in the same way, because that would be mind numbing, but every week in some way, they would say why they do what they do in worship. Hmm. So uh, a prayer of confession, for example, if you wanted to make that a spiritual practice in worship, instead of just launching into the prayer of confession, you might say something like, um, how was your week? Did you do everything just right? Are you sitting here feeling a little guilty about something you said, maybe the email you shouldn't have sent or the way you snapped at your wife? Uh, this is your chance to get right before God. Uh, that's why we pray, pray a prayer of confession, right? So there's, there's this teaching component that reminds people why we do what we do as Christians that can actually continue into other spheres of their everyday ordinary lives. We so, actually just did that earlier this year. Um, the exact awesome. thing for the first time. Um, yeah. I, we, I sometimes just throw those things in just because I will look around and think, Oh, there's a few people here who are new and I don't recognize them. Right. And so, cause we're a small church. So, you know, it's easy to spot people who are new, um, <laughs> but, uh, and, and just kind of throw it in, particularly with the prayer of confession, which we, in our church, we do that every week. And, yeah. uh, and so that's sort of like, Oh, this is kind of strange. Like what we're doing um, uh, or with communion as well. Like that's another another one where I'll take a bit of time in the invitation mm. to, to explain what it is that's going on. Yeah. Um, but uh, this, son, this a few weeks ago we did uh, where we explained pretty much everything we did. And we told the congregation, we're doing this. This is a great time to invite people. We did, had a few new people who were invited and brought along, Good. Um, but we even explained why are we singing? Yeah. Because where do you go where a group of people you know, start off their gathering with a sing-along. Like, that's, exactly. that's strange. Like, that doesn't happen at the hockey game. Well, I guess it kind of does, national anthem. But, um, you know, I, but it doesn't happen in sort of normal life. Um, right. And then I explained why is it important for our church to, to read from the Bible mm-hmm. um, and not just talk about it. Like, yeah. I know other places, like, a lecture might make sense, but why are we spending time reading from a book? Right. Um, why right. is that important? So, so we pause to kind of do some of those things. And the response I think was really good. Like not more so from the people who were regularly there yeah. um, saying, Oh, I'd never really thought about that. Or I haven't heard that before. I yeah. didn't really think about why we had a separate Bible reading time um, yeah. and why that's important. So it, it was a good experience for us. So we're going to do it again for sure. And maybe incorporate every week, a little bit of something. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad to hear you talk about that because that's something we just, we just started doing. That's an awesome, it's really awesome to hear that. And, and I think what's so curious to me is that when you have a teaching liturgy, you also learn about your context. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we started our recording, I was telling you about a conversation yesterday with some church planters here in Vancouver uh, who are just tearing it up downtown at a church called St. Peter's Fireside. They've got some good online videos as well. And um, one of the church planters was saying that uh, as they've taught the liturgy, because they have kind of a pseudo-Anglican background, um, they've learned, for example, in Vancouver, where, you know, uh, it's kind of la-la land. I always say the hardest thing about preaching heaven in Vancouver is people think they're already there, right? And, uh, you know, and so uh, one of the things they've found is that, say, on confession, as they started to explain confession in Vancouver, that people are, they don't really like the whole sin thing out here. Right. It, it drives me a bit nuts because total human depravity is my favorite reformed doctrine, but uh, I'm also willing to say what's going to work. And here's what they did find is that while they, of course, are very clear on the reality of sin, they found in Vancouver through a teaching liturgy that um, being aspirational actually connects with millennials more than talking about uh, depravity of sin. Example, when you're preaching Beatitudes, for example, they've found a millennial will say, wow, like 
that sounds like a pretty amazing life. If someone lived that, I don't know what that would look like. I, I want to be that kind of person, right? So it's kind of aspirational, but they, they've kind of um, churned this up from engaging in the liturgy and hearing how people are responding to the liturgy. So I don't know. I find that, I find that interesting. Yeah, that is kind of interesting. So what does that do? Like, how does that help someone with their own spiritual practice as they go, like as they leave in the, from the benediction, what else do they need in their, in their life to be able to be that faithful witness out of the community? Like what are the things that sustain? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would uh, like you as a pastor, I I would encourage people into a regular Bible study practice, regular prayer practice. Um, And uh, I'm a fan of small group ministry, uh, partly because of the accountability. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the accountability piece, right? That uh, you and I have both encountered people uh, who will say, uh, well, you don't need to be, uh, you don't need to go to church to be a good Christian, right? right. Which, uh, inwardly, uh, your listeners on the podcast may not like this, but inwardly as preachers, we roll our eyes at that point, right? Yes, Thank we you. Do. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and it's not just because we want people coming to the church that we serve, but, you know, there's that classic example, right. Of the, of the, uh, uh, church member who stopped going and thought they were going to be a good person in the pastor visits and they have the roaring fire going, uh, mm-hmm. and all the, the preacher does is reach in with the tongs, take a, a red hot coal and put it on, on the, uh, the hearth outside and sit there quietly and watch it go from red hot to black and cold. And then the, the pastor gets up and leaves and the guy's in church the next Sunday, right? I mean, that kind of image, there is some truth to that, right? That that we need accountability and support from fellow Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, small group practices of Bible study and prayer with others, I think is helpful in addition to um, our own. Uh, and then I think I it's say- worth uh, noting that, like for me, community, which I think for me, that's what you're talking about is like yeah. being with other Christians. To me, that's actually is a spiritual practice. Like, yes, I, I think we have to choose. We have to intentionally put ourselves in community community. Yeah. I, I think community happens. Like it's just, it's a natural thing because we're human beings and, you know, we're social and we end up with people in our life, yeah. but to pay attention to putting ourselves into those situations and actually, you know, going to the Bible study or go, showing up to the group, yeah. Um, and taking responsibility for that and taking some responsibility for the tending of that community as well. Um, so checking in when someone else isn't there. To me, that's part of practicing our faith or or it is a spiritual practice. And people don't always think of it that way. They think of yeah. maybe prayer and reading the Bible on my own and meditation and things like that as those are real spiritual practices. Yes. But this social time, even after church, is not really, that's not really quote unquote spiritual Right. When in fact, it's, it's really important. Um, mm. Hopefully it goes deeper at some point than, you know, how's the weather, but right. some of those, how the weather conversations are actually really important for the binding together of Christian community and, and just being there with other Christians and knowing, Oh, I haven't seen that person. I'm going to phone them or, or check in with them. That's that right. to me is, is vastly important. Yeah. Like out here in Vancouver, the Vancouver Foundation did a, a really important study a couple of years ago and found that the number one problem in Vancouver is isolation. Yeah. That people live in these high-rise condos, they might uh, smile at someone in the elevator, but they don't know anyone. Right. And, and I think, you know, Christian community, um, it's not possible to be involved or it shouldn't be possible to be involved in Christian community and be anonymous. Uh, and I think that was the critique in many ways in, in the 90s of the mega church movement uh, was that it was possible to show up. I mean, I don't know if you've been to yeah. Saddleback or, you know, when I went to Willow Creek and felt like I was at a shopping mall, um, like you can just slide in and slide out without any kind of uh, commitment, right? Right. So right. yet that I find too that some of the mega churches also do a better job than smaller churches at paying attention to, well, this is a hurdle we have to overcome. So they'll pay attention to how are we, what is the process for helping people get connected into a small group? Now, not everybody's going to get in there. Like you can just show up and leave. It's yeah. very easy to do that. But the, the leadership in the church, from what I've seen, are really paying close attention to mm-hmm. like, how do we make sure that people actually do connected, get connected to other people? I it's find true. there's very few that are interested in just sort of putting on a show yeah, as as much as it looks like that from the outside, sometimes right. I find smaller churches sometimes don't do as well at paying attention to, uh, you know, 
there's somebody who's on the outside or isolated. How do we help them um, yes. connect to others? So, so I, I just don't, I'm just, I, I don't want anyone to think that we're saying negative things about mega churches. So, no, not, not yeah. at all. And yeah. in fact, some of the mega churches, because they're larger, they, they need to be more focused on small group ministries. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I think about uh, the meeting place church in, um, uh, in Ontario that was just starting up with uh, Bruxy Carvey. Yeah. Uh, uh, Bruxy Cavey. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, I, was, I was actually in seminary uh, with him, which was pretty cool. And, uh, uh, you know, so they, they've gone to the whole meet in a movie theater uh, across southern Ontario. But uh, they also have very strict rules that you can come and worship and be an interloper for up to three weeks. And then you have to join a small group. And they'll just say, that. like, we don't right. want you here just yeah. to come for worship unless you're going to get involved. And I think yeah. that has integrity to it, right? Yeah, I believe they've even gone as far to say that really they're gathering is is not really uh how they understand church they understand church as the as the small group meeting where yes. you're engaging with other people that is your church your yes. people and then you know if you want you can you can download the talks yeah. um but uh, but your church is your people that you gather together with um so i don't know if i want to go that far like i actually really believe strongly in the gathered community um in full uh to worship mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, but it's an interesting idea to think of, you know, that's the place or the location or the group of people where you live out your, your spiritual life together. I think that's it's really right. an interesting way of thinking about it. I think too, you know, like we have these categories, right. Um, uh, within the Christian tradition, we use the big fancy cocktail party language of justification and sanctification, uh, and vocation. And this is kind of the Carl Bart stuff that I love so much, but he would yoke that to the, the church gathered equipped and right and so you know um it's important to me and and it was really important as a congregational leader that especially my elders on session could describe to me their sanctification mm-hmm. that uh that it was possible at the end uh in fact i would do things like get them to write down uh who is jesus or what is the good news or um, where have you experienced God? And I'd write it down in September at the start of the church year, right. and I would seal the envelope. And then uh, in June at our final session meeting that usually had a barbecue, I get them to do it again, but then I rip open the envelope and show them their answers from September. Wow. And, um, you know, every session meeting too, I would start off, it was a bit cheesy, but you know me, I am cheesy. Uh, we do uh, a good, good news check-in. Uh, and, right. and, uh, part of it was to say, uh, where have you seen God at work in the church or the community since our yeah. last monthly session meeting? And, and it was wonderful to hear the testimonies, but really as the teaching elder, what I was looking for is consistently, if I had a ruling elder on session and leadership, who could not name God's activity in the church or community, we had a problem. Mm-hmm. And so, so um, you know, holding, um, we obviously hold our, our fellow ordained colleagues on session to, to a high standard, but I think we can hold church members to that standard as well, right? And, and how are we um, uh, closer to Jesus as a result of our involvement at Prairie Presbyterian, St. Andrews, St. Stephen's Presbyterian, North Van, where I go, or wherever people attend, right? Mm-hmm. And that's part of the spiritual practice is that it really is, um, by grace, leading towards the full, uh, full stature and measure of Christ. So um, however people engage, small group ministries, Bible studies, prayers, acts of justice and witness, um, is it helping uh, take them deeper into their vocation uh, as, as a disciple and really as an apostle, right? Because disciples have a graduation day. And, uh, and when, we, uh, when we go out, you know, from Sunday worship, when we're sent, it really is an apostolic role that we're playing to, to the community. Right. Now, now you're really preaching there, Ross. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. But there's lots of sometimes big words in there, but apostles, like, I think that actually is important. But if people are listening, I'm wondering what, I'm not an apostle. Like those are those 12 guys from the Bible. Um, yeah. That's great. If, if you, if, if you know that much that they're the 12, the 12, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but apostle really just means sent one. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So really, I think that's a, that's a great way of thinking about it, that in some ways, if you think of when you gather together, you're you're gathering together as disciples, learners yeah. um, and followers. And then you become apostles because you're sent out, you go out into the world and now you're a sent one. So and it, it's kind of a I think a neat thing to think about. Right. Like you've got uh, 
Sunday you're discipled and then for the rest of the week you're apostled does that does that work i don't know if that works but you become an apostle i guess or you're sent an apostle that's right yeah and then we report back i mean in that sense it's very much um a luke 10 kind of approach right of jesus sending out the disciples by two um to practice ministry with training wheels on right yeah well and i love that that you know, biblically people are always sent out in, in groups as well. Right. So they're, we don't, I don't know that we always do a great job of that where I, maybe it's just the culture because we're in such a kind of an individualistic society. But I think one of the challenges is that people, when they think about being sent out um, as witnesses, you feel kind of alone doing that. Um, And I don't think that's really the intention. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it's supposed to be, well, you get together in your holy huddle at church and then you're off on your own. Yeah. Um, I, I think we've got to find ways to help people engage and do things together in the world as well. Yes. Um, certainly you're going to be on your own sometimes. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but, but how do you engage with other people together out in the world too? I, we got, we got to think, think through, you get to think through all of that stuff uh, for us, right? Like we'll just hire the expert at the, at the <laughs> seminary and then you can let us know uh, what we should be doing. That's uh, right. That's, that's what we're supposed to, that's what I'm hearing you say, basically. Yeah. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> exactly. um, I, w- I would love with, with our remaining time, if we can to uh, shift a little bit and just maybe if you can share with us a little more of your own personal, what your own personal spirituality is like, or what does your, spiritual practice look like or consist of what do you do um, yeah for your own um uh, what uh, basically how do you stay connected to god i guess is the question i'm asking yeah yeah and i think you know uh for folks like us matt uh when they see us they think well those guys are the the religious professionals so they must have like this deep rooted spiritual practice and then we laugh right um uh, we don't laugh because we are intentional but just because you know you're a pastor doesn't mean that you have uh any fewer demands on your time uh and so um i've always from day one when i felt a call to ministry and responded uh, at the time, I was a youth, uh, youth pastor in Winnipeg and in um, a Christian rock band uh, at the time. Uh, we don't need to get into that. And, uh, I'll have you back on the show to talk about <laughs> you don't, You don't want that. And um, for me, I, I, when I had my call to ministry, right in my mind, there was always a distinction between my work for the church, my ordained life, and my discipleship to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I knew deep in my heart that if anything went pear-shaped with my call to ministry, I would always be a disciple of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. I had a, a conversion experience as a teenager. Christ claimed me. Uh, and, and as we know, when, when he has a grip on you, uh, it's forever, right? And so um, that, that was my sense in which my discipleship to Christ um, was uh, in some ways uh, separated from my call to church leadership. Mm-hmm. And so um, now after so many years of being a pastor, I've, I've had to develop um, spiritual disciplines that have changed as my stage of life has changed. Right. So when I was single, the ability to, um, to pray often, to attend Bible studies, uh, that, was, that was easy. Uh, when I met my uh, spouse, uh, also a Christian, we had that in common and were able to, uh, you know, uh, engage in Christian education programs and so forth. And then, of course, we had kids and everything melted down. Right. So, um, you know, finding uh, time and energy in the midst of busy family life can be tricky. But it was actually um, Korean Presbyterian friends of mine that uh, helped us these last few years uh, develop a really a good discipline of family worship. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one of one of the, the spiritual disciplines now is every weekend uh, we set time aside on a Saturday night. We have a family meal together and we have family worship and then we follow it with family movie night uh, off Netflix. Um, but the family worship is uh, where, you know, I'll, I'll bring out the guitar and my daughter will pick a praise song or two. My son will pick a, a scripture verse and my sweetest pie little four-year-old will, uh, will offer the prayer. 
uh, that, you know, sometimes goes to places that I'm not quite sure where the prayer is headed. Uh, but, um, you know, we, we all engage, my wife and I kind of lead the worship and, um, it's been so important for us to not just rely on our congregation to provide worship life and for us to model, uh, to our kids and experience with our kids, what it means to worship the Father, Son, Holy Spirit in our own home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I know our townhouse neighbors uh, probably think we're a bit nuts as they hear us praising God through the walls of our townhouse. Um, but that's a witness of a different kind, right? Mm-hmm. So um, uh, I would say that uh, for me personally, uh, prayer, scripture reading, um, a devotional reading of uh, theology texts, uh, is really important to me. And um, I have always traced a connection between bo- uh, body, mind, and spirit. And so my um, uh, kind of regular commitment to physical exercise, I treat as um, as prayer. So uh, when I'm on the treadmill Monday through Friday at my local gym, I'm uh, reciting uh, uh, Patrick's uh, blessing, right? Uh, mm. Christ be uh, in me. Uh, Christ, uh, Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, before me, to beside me, to win me. Uh, all, all of these kinds of expressions, I, I'm treating my, my exercise as an opportunity to engage in prayer with God. Uh, and uh, part of that is it's just time I can carve out. Uh, it's right. so, so those are some of the things that I, I do. But I'm always um, curious about what other people's spiritual practices are. Yeah, yeah, and it's the podcast. <laughs> That's yeah, part which of what, what I want to do. I'm excited to hear your other speakers. Yeah. I come from a family of church musicians. Uh, mm-hmm. When I said that I was uh, feeling called to um, ordain ministry, they thought I was nuts. Uh, where if I'd said, oh, I'm going to be a praise band leader or a choir director, they'd say, oh, that, that's great. Uh, yeah. So for me, um, regular engagement in Christian music um, is, well, I guess there is no such thing as Christian music. There's Christian lyrics. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, uh, praising God through song uh, is really um, uh, a big part of my devotional life as well. Okay. Like listening as well as, as well as singing or playing or whatever. Yeah. And, and, uh, and being up, I know there are some purists in church music who are not a fan of uh, more recent Christian music. Uh, I'm not one of those. And I think one of the things too, is that in our hymn books for every hymn that made the cut, there were uh, a lot that were left on the cutting room floor. Right. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, will we be singing all of Chris Tomlin's songs uh, in a hundred years from now? No, but we'll be singing a few of them. Right. Yep. So, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Just like the, the Wesley's of, you know, yeah. how many thousands of hymns did they write? Yeah. And, Charles uh, had 6,000, 6,000. Yeah, and yeah. we don't sing all of them anymore. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Just, just keep the best, just keep the best ones. So exactly. Sure I'll be looking forward to that when we've weeded out some of the contemporary songs. So, so once yeah. we've decided which ones are actually standing the test of time, that'll be good. My, my goal, Matt, is to be the cranky old guy at the seniors home when the young, uh, fresh faced pastor reluctantly comes to lead worship and to give him a hard time and to say something like, when are we going to sing a real hymn around here? Like something by Chris Tomlin. I want that's to be right. that. Yeah, that'll be great. That'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's really that's really good ross um i i just just one more uh question if if you don't mind um sure. when you have you felt like and i know i kind of know the answer to this have you ever felt that you've been in a spiritual rut mm. um and i i think probably yeah. um and uh and what do you do when you are in kind of a spiritual rut how how do you get out yeah um, and some of that might be about how do you stay consistent as well with mm-hmm. spiritual practice. Yeah. Because I know people struggle with consistency. Yeah. I, I think uh, I have associated my spiritual ruts primarily with fatigue and stress. Okay. Uh, and uh, too often the first thing to go is the spiritual practice. Yeah. So in uh, congregational leadership, when you know you go through seasons of uh, strife and conflict and so forth, um, that that's where, you know, we need our spiritual d- discipline, uh, all the more. Um, one of, one of the major ways I have reset my spiritual life time and time again, is through the spiritual act of pilgrimage. Uh, mm-hmm. and I find that engaging, um, in prayer walks, 
Uh, as you know, I, I lead. I uh, just got back from uh, Israel. Uh, that was my fifth time. I'm taking a group again in November. Uh, um, going on uh, pilgrimage uh, journeys to me uh, is a chance to break the routine of uh, everyday life and to reset. Now, some people do that locally by going to a Catholic retreat center and having a silent retreat, that kind of thing. But I would say when I have felt myself in a rut, it's usually due to fatigue or stress, and I need to um, remove myself from from that situation that's causing stress or harm in order to uh, reset myself with God. And then when I re-enter, I find that I'm, I have a um, much higher degree of resistance uh, mm-hmm. to some of those uh, challenges. Um, I mean, I think uh, spiritual warfare is a reality um, that mainline Protestants are sheepish about talking about, but it's just a reality, right? There, there is, whether you want to personify evil or not, there is a presence at work in the world that would do us harm. And so how are we uh, fortifying ourselves against that? And um, so uh, pilgrimage would be, would be one way that I've found to be incredibly helpful. Yeah, I think that's really great. Uh, I had a sabbatical uh recently just a mini sabbatical about three four months and uh, prayer walking became a a main focus for me in that time and some of that was close to home and some of that was when i was away kind of hiking in uh, blue ridge mountains in north carolina um but uh but that's something that i've tried to keep doing it's it gets a little harder in the winter months in winnipeg (laughs) because i really like to do it outside like you know prayer walking indoors doesn't have the same thing for me um so i'd really like to do it outside and i still do go out in the winter but if it's you know minus 40 which it will get here that's uh yeah that's a little trickier um but i found that to be a very helpful practice too but would love to do more uh journey pilgrimage away kind of stuff as well so I'd, i'd i'd love to explore that one more well i'll take you to i'll take you to israel with me in november how does that sound I'll have to think and pray about it for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think that's good for, for people listening to think through. It doesn't necessarily need to be big or far away. Um, but also the idea of a break or removing yourself from, from the situation um, yeah. can be a healthy thing rather than sort of spinning your wheels in it all the time. Um, that's right. I think that can be really good. Yeah. Thank well, you so much, Ross. My pleasure. I was going to say, in closing, uh, uh, each of us in Canada, we're blessed with access to the Trans-Canada Trail now that goes right across our country. And mm-hmm. uh, every congregation could think about what, what does it look like to do um, a day-long or an overnight uh, mm. pilgrimage prayer walk on the Trans-Canada Trail close to your home. So all kinds uh, yeah, of Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Ross. I really appreciate it. My pleasure and blessings to you and your ministry. You're a real encouragement to so many of us, Matt. All right. Thank you. I hope you found today's episode helpful. Don't forget to check out the show notes at spiritualityfornormalpeople.com. There you can sign up to get the free short guide called Six Tips to Get Consistent in Connecting with God. And when you do that, you'll also get the latest updates and news from the blog plus book announcements and anything else I may be working on. So head over to spiritualityfornormalpeople.com and sign up. Thanks for listening today and take care.